following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have one of these in your possession this morning, break it out and hold it up real high. Let me just see. I would have to think that probably at least 90% of us, maybe more. It's all right. You can get your phone out. Just let me see. Now, while you have them out, if you haven't done so already, go ahead and put it on silence (laughs) so we don't get interrupted during the service. But I would have to say that probably many of us spend a lot of time either going back for or looking for or looking at uh, what we now consider to be a cellular phone. I would have to think that many years ago when Alexander Graham Bell invented the first functional telephone that he had no clue that something like this. You talk about eyes not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that never even crossed his mind that we would be holding basically a computer in our pockets. And so uh, we use these for much more than communication these days. Uh, we communicate in several different ways using our cellular phones. We can call someone, which is kind of a rarity these days. Most of the times we text Or we send emails or we send messages on Facebook. But it's very, very obvious that to each and every one of us, communication is important. Uh, Back during the first Gulf War in 1990, uh, Operation Desert Storm, uh, General Norman Schwarzkopf, his, his goal was to what? He wanted to neutralize the enemy's ability to communicate. That was his first order of business. He knew that if he could knock out all of their communication devices and their means of communicating with each other, he would definitely have the upper hand. Open our ears, Lord. That's the title of this sermon series that we're going to be going through. I would have to think that most of us here today uh, spend some time within a week uh, uh, getting along with the Lord, maybe reading or listening to his word, hearing a song on the radio, and, and something touches our heart. God speaks to us in a way, but do we intentionally set the time aside that we need to to hear God speak to us in ways we never have before? I would have to say that since I first became pastor here a couple of years ago, going on three years almost, I would have to say since day one, you've probably heard more about prayer from me than any other pastor that you've heard at this church. I, I think that you know at least two or three times a month, uh, between Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I, I am touching specifically on the matter of prayer. Uh, Wednesday night sermons, usually I incorporate a specific prayer request or something that you could pray for to kind of help you expand your horizon on the topic of prayer. And when we think about prayer, we think about us talking to the Lord, but very seldom do we consider sitting in silence with no distractions And trying to get God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. So that's what you're going to be hearing over the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, um, is how to hear from God more clearly. Now, there are three main ways that God communicates us. Number one is the Word of God. That's the specific reason that He left us with the canon of Scripture that we have today, is for Him to speak to us through His Word, through other people. Used to, in the Old Testament times, they had prophets that would come and speak to nations, kings, kingdoms. They were God's mouthpiece back then. God speaks through people even still today. Not just your preacher, not just your pastor, 
your Sunday school teacher, your parent, your best friend, whoever you confide in, God can use them to speak through you as well. Also, God speaks to us through our circumstances. The things that we go through each and every day, God has uniquely ordained to take place because he's trying to get your attention or he's trying to direct you down a path that he needs you to go in. For such a time as this, just like Queen Esther said, I was put here for such a time as this, and God has put you at the grocery store, your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, wherever you may be, so that you can tell other peoples about the Lord Jesus Christ. You speak to other people for the Lord. So God speaks to us through his word, other people through our circumstances as well. So my goal uh, through this sermon series is to help you be able to distinguish God's voice above the noise of the crowd, the noise of the culture, your everyday life, and to get you into a discipline where you are spending time in silence and solitude, not saying anything and just saying, God, I want you to speak to me in a way that I've never experienced before. First of all, I believe that Christians today, not just this church, but Christianity as a whole, are scripturally malnourished. I don't think we consume enough of God's word to discern his voice from everything else that's going on in our lives. But I also think that our culture has developed us in a way and geared us in a way and wired us in a way to where we are so busy to where it is almost impossible for us to put things in neutral and get alone in silence and solitude and allow God to speak to our hearts. So my goal is to take you from Genesis to Revelations and show you different people, different concepts, different scenarios, different situations, and different principles in which you can hear God speak to you more clearer than you ever had. So with that being said, if you have your Bibles this morning, go to the book of Genesis chapter 3, a very familiar story. Uh, We see the story of Adam and Eve. So when we think about these scriptures, we believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible um, word of God. No mistakes in it whatsoever. It is still very relevant to our lives. And so when we say that God's word is inspired, that word inspiration, uh, Paul told Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration comes from the Greek word theopneustos, which means God breathed. God literally took this book and he breathed life in it. He told the prophets and the writers the words to write. And as he breathed life into them. So this this Bible that you hold, it is still warm with the breath of God. So the same principle applies to the creation of first man. Not only did God create his word by breathing life into it, God created man by breathing life into it as well. Genesis 3 records the story, uh, Genesis 2 records the story of the first man. God scooped up the clay, the dust of the earth. He molded and he shaped and he formed man. And then he, he breathed the breath of life into him. That's the only creation that we know of. The only thing in creation that God did that with. Everything else God spoke into existence. The moon, the stars, the planet, the earth, the water, the fish, the birds, the animals. All of those things God spoke. And they came into existence. But man is the only thing that God uniquely formed and shaped and breathed his breath of life into. Not only did God shape and create and form him and breathe the breath of life into him, but he put him in a unique environment, in a perfect environment. 
He didn't have to work. He didn't have to toil. He didn't have to labor. He was free to roam and do what he wanted to. He spent time with God. He lived a perfect life. And God said, there's one rule, one guideline, one principle I'm going to give you. This tree over here, don't touch it. Don't eat off of it. Everything else, I've given you the animals for you to rule over. I've given you this garden. You can have anything you wanted except for this one tree. So that's the first time that God spoke to man. He gave him a commandment. What we're going to look at today is why does God speak to us? That's the first thing I want to get out of the way is why does God speak to us? Why does God want to communicate with us? Well, when you pick up your cell phone and you text message somebody or you call them, why are you wanting to call them? You have something that you want them to hear. You have something that you want them to do. You have some information that you want them to know. So that's why God communicates with us. That's why God created, uh, communicated with Adam here because he had something that he wanted Adam to know. And up until that point, they had uh, perfect fellowship. Perfect communion. We don't know exactly what all conversations they had, but I would have to think that Adam would go out and he would just have these conversations with the Lord in this perfect environment. God, thank you for putting me here. But God said, you know, it's it's not good for man to be alone. So he created woman. And this is where the fall of man begins. The temptation comes along. Satan enters into the scene. And he begins corrupting what God had initially said to the man. And so we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And the Word of God says in Genesis 3, 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Why did they do that? They were living in shame. At one point in time, sin did not exist. Man lived in a perfect environment. No clothing needed. They could roam about, do whatever they want to. When that first sin entered into the world, they tried to hide themselves. I can't think of anything I'd rather not wear than a fig leaf. Have you ever had one of those? They're pretty itchy. I would not want to have to wear that. That's torture enough right there. That's payment enough right there for the sin that was committed. But that was nothing compared to the shame that they were living with because they knew that they had disobeyed The Lord, it says that as soon as they ate, their eyes were both open and they knew that they were naked. So just as soon as that first sin was committed in their hearts and in their minds, they knew that they had done something that was disobedient to that one commandment that God had given to them. So why does God speak to us? God gave them this one principle, this one boundary, this one guideline. Does God give us rules and regulations Just to be mean? No, he gives us those guidelines for a purpose there or for our own good. And when we sin, here's what I want you to know. Point number one, God doesn't want us to live in shame. He doesn't want us to live in shame. 
He doesn't want us to bear the weight of our sin. He doesn't want that sin to impact our fellowship that we have with Him. And that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve when that first sin entered in this world. Their fellowship and their communion that they had with the Lord was severed. They hid themselves. They tried to cover themselves. And they knew that they had done wrong. Shame entered their heart. God speaks to us because He wants us to know that He has provided salvation for us. And He wants us to be able to live with the confidence of knowing for sure that we are saved and we belong to Him. Notice that after Adam and Eve broke the one commandment, that while they hid themselves, the Lord came looking for them. Not only that, but in verse 21, God made a provision to cover their shame and nakedness. While Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together, verse 21, we see that also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. God provided a covering for their shame and for their nakedness, but something had to die for it. Something had to shed its blood to provide that covering for their nakedness and their shame and their sin. The book of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Because of our sin, someone had to die. His name is Jesus. And he died so that we would not live in condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So how does this concept of forgiveness and no condemnation impact our prayer life and our ability to hear from the Lord? Let me ask you this. If you know that you've been disobedient to the Lord, what's the last thing you want to do? I don't want to get into the Bible. I don't want to pray because God knows what I've done. I'm ashamed of it. So therefore, it breaks your fellowship and your ability to communicate and your desire to communicate with the Lord. Some of you have small children still roaming around in your house. Some of you have raised toddlers. You know that if they pick up something that they're not supposed to have, what do they do? Boy, they lie to shut. They try to get away from you as fast as you can. The fastest creature on the face of the earth is a small toddler with something in his hand that he's not supposed to have. And that's the same way we are with our disobedience. When we do something that we know we're not supposed to do, when we do something we know is in total opposition to God's Word, we try to separate ourselves from the Lord because we're living in shame. We know that we've disobeyed and we try our best to cover it up. So here's what John Bazzano has to say in his book, The Power of Positive Praying, a really good book. I recommend it if you're into reading books. Uh, If you want to get your hands on some some material about prayer, John Bazzano, The Power of Positive Praying, he had this to say about communicating with the Lord. He says, when you pray, ask God to cleanse you, even your subconscious mind in the blood of Christ. And keep forever forgotten that which is never uh, that which is forever forgiven. Ask God to cleanse you, even your subconscious mind, in the blood of Christ, and keep forever forgotten that which is forever forgiven. God wants to forgive you of your sins. 
And he wants to speak to you because he doesn't want you to live in shame. He wants you to know that he has made a provision to cover your sin and your shame. And that's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to, turn to Psalms chapter 32. We're going to be reading a lot of reference passage uh, scriptures today. Psalms 32, verses 1 through 5, has this to say. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. But here's the good news. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Just like Adam and Eve, when we know that we're in disobedience, when we're walking in opposition to the Lord, our communication line with Him is severed. But God is still wanting to speak to us. He's still wanting to say, you're my child. You're forgiven. You've been set free from the bondage of the enemy. Don't let him have the upper hand on you. But open up your heart. Open up your mind. Open up your ears and listen to what I'm saying to you. Because I want to bring you back into that fellowship that we once had. Now here's one thing I want to make perfectly clear. If you are for sure, a child of God, if you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, nothing will ever change your relationship. But there are things that can corrupt your fellowship with the Lord. And sin is the main thing. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, if you want to write that down. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Because God doesn't want you to live in the shame of your sin and disobedience. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Adam and Eve were in shame. They tried to cover their sin. But God said, Nope, I'm going to cover it for you. Because I want us to still have that close fellowship and communication and communion that we once had. That's the same thing God says to you. God says, I want to speak to you, but I can't do it if you're running in disobedience. The next thing I want you to see happens in verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? (laughs) Like he didn't know where he was at. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked And I hid myself. Did you notice that? Even when Adam was running in sin and disobedience, he still heard God's voice. But he said, when I heard your voice, I hid myself. Isn't that the way we do? Isn't that the very same thing that we do when we're running in disobedience? We hear God calling our name. We hear God calling us. We hear God looking for us. We know he's there all alone. Yet we're ashamed to confront him about our sin. Why does God want to speak to us? 
Point number two, God knows us by name. I want you to notice something. The Lord never calls Adam by his name. You can look in chapter 2, verse 16. You can look in chapter 3, verses 9, 11, and 17. It says that the Lord God called out to Adam, but he didn't say, Adam, where are you? He never did use his name. There's a couple of pretty obvious reasons for that. First reason is this. Who else would God be speaking to? (laughs) Adam is the only man there. Eve is there with him, but God had told Adam himself. He didn't tell Eve. He told Adam. He said, Adam, don't eat of this tree. And his expectation was to tell his wife the same thing. But God went to Adam and confronted Adam about his sin, but he never used his name. He didn't have to because Adam knew who he was speaking to. Here's the thing about us. God knows our name because he's a personal God. He wants to be involved in your life, and he wants you to know him personally. Second reason God didn't use Adam's name, because Adam knew who the Lord was talking to. He didn't have to use his name. Adam knew right away, hey, that's the Lord, and he's talking to me. I heard your voice, and I hid because I was ashamed of what I had done. You don't have to call my name. And when we live in disobedience, God doesn't have to use our name. God speaks to us because he doesn't want to be a distant God that shows no interest in our life. Christianity is the only religion in this world where the deity that is worshipped wants to have a close, intimate relationship with his worshipers. All the other deities are foreign, distant gods. You you have to please them uh, by removing the attachments in your life. You have to please them by the offerings and the sacrifices that you bring. God says, I just want your heart. I want your obedience. I want you to worship me because you love me. But he knows our name, and he wants to have that close, intimate relationship with us. Write this verse down, Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He wants your heart to be refreshed. He wants your heart to be renewed. And he wants to dwell with you. And he wants you to know that he knows everything about you. Jesus said, the very hairs on your head are numbered. He says, I know all the details about your life. I know you by your name. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says that when we were in the womb, he shaped us and he formed us and he knew us. He knows what we're made of. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strength. He knows everything about us. And he knew about Adam before he even went looking for him. One of the things you're going to see in this sermon series is how many people God called out specifically by name. A lot of them, he used their names twice. Look, if God calls your first name twice, 
you know you're in for it. <laughs> Just like your mama using your first and your middle name. And when that middle name comes out, uh-oh, I done crossed the line there. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at Moses and his burning bush experience. Some of you have had a burning bush experience. Some of you are still looking for that time. But when God came to Moses and spoke to him through the burning bush, he said, Moses, Moses, I got something for you to do. The prophet Samuel, when he was just a little boy, he said, Samuel, Samuel. First time Samuel had ever heard God's voice, but he used his name twice. The apostle Paul, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He used that first name twice. He wanted to make sure that they knew he was talking to them. The prophet Elijah, God spoke to him using his first name. Abraham he called twice. Jacob, Joshua, Gideon, all of those great men of the Bible, God used their name and he spoke specifically to him. What is God speaking to you today? Does he have to repeat your name more than once to get your attention? Are you tuned in to his voice in a way to where he has to, all he has to do is speak that one time and he's got your attention? Psalm 91 verse 14 says this. Write this verse down if you want to. Because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. I know his name and he knows mine. I know what his name means. A good study for you to do would be on the names of God. So God speaks to us for several different reasons. First of all, he doesn't want us to live in shame. Second of all, he speaks to us because he knows us by our name. Third thing I want you to see is that God's word will always remain the same. Sometimes he speaks to you to confirm something that you already knew. Sometimes he's speaking to you because he wants to confirm something that you've noticed in his word. Sometimes you're questioning, God, is this the path that I'm supposed to be on? God says, yes, it is. And he does that because his word never changes. God's word will always remain the same. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? God said, my word is still the same. The one commandment that I gave you, it still applies. Did you eat of that fruit? Did you break that one commandment that I gave you? Because I'm not backing down on my word. I'm not changing my word remains the same. God will never ask you to do anything that's contradicting to his word. This is exactly what Satan was getting Adam and Eve to do. They wanted them to doubt what God had said. He was trying to bring some inconsistency into their life. He wanted them to doubt God's word and to commit an act that was specifically laid out as a boundary for them. Here's the thing, everything around you may change. Your health condition, your bank account, our culture, 
the laws that the government makes, but God's word will remain the same no matter what. If God said it, he means it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22-25 through 25 says this, Since since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flowers fade away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Somebody say amen to that. One thing you can count on is God is not going to back down from what he has said. God's word is not going to change. And God is not going to ask you to do something that contradicts his word. Jesus said this in Matthew 24 verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I was thinking about this song a while ago, To God Be the Glory. I can't think of anything more glorious than getting into God's Word and having Him speak to my heart. Because I know it's something that I read before. And I'll go back and read it a second time, a third time. And maybe on that fourth or fifth time, the light finally comes on. Hey, this applies to me. This is something that God said thousands of years ago, but it still applies to our culture in my life today the word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two edged sword it cuts to the heart of the matter and it never changes it is so so consistent if you want to see God if you want to hear from God you get into his word because it's not going to waver that's the one thing in the life of a Christian that is going to keep you more focused on hearing from God than anything else That first song we sang this morning, To God Be the Glory. The third verse, it says, Great things He hath taught us, great things He hath done, and great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our victory, when Jesus we see. When you first sing it, when you first read it, there may not be anything earth-shattering about it. How many of you know who wrote that hymn? A lady by the name of Fanny J. Crosby. She wrote hundreds of hymns. She was an author that wrote many books. The thing about Fanny J. Crosby is this. She was blind from her childhood. Our wonder, our victory, when Jesus we see. It's a little more incredible when you think about a blind person writing about the glory of Jesus that they have never seen before. Why could she write about that? How could she write about the wonder and the victory? Because she learned how to hear from God. Since her vision was taken away, her sense of hearing and hearing from the Lord became so much more attuned to what God was saying to her. Sometimes that's how we need to be. Sometimes we need to just close our eyes. God, speak to me through your word. Scriptures that I memorized. 
Scriptures that I've heard people preach about, put on a podcast, put on an audible Bible, and just let God speak to you. Or just don't put anything on at all. Just close your eyes and say, God, I, don't, I, I want to be separated from all of my surroundings, from everything that's going on in my life. And Lord, I just want to focus on you. So speak to my heart, Lord, and tell me some things that's going to make you, me see you in a different way than I've ever seen before. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah writes about an experience that he has, a vision that he has. He said, I saw the temple of the Lord and his majesty filled that temple. The train of the Lord and his glory just filled that temple. And God gave him an incredible vision that he had never seen before. Eye has not seen nor hear, ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those who love him. I truly believe that God wants to show us something that we've never seen before. In all of his glory, in all of his wonder, but we've got to learn how to get along with the Lord and remove those distractions. Last point I want to make is this. One of the reasons that God wants to speak to us is that a lot of times we play the blame game. And God wants us to know, I'm talking to you. I know what you did. And I'm trying to get through to you so you can correct it. And when we can get on with the purpose that I put you here for. See, God put Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. Gave them one principle, one guideline, one boundary. They broke it. And then after that, I want you to see what happens. Then in verse 12. Then the man said... The woman whom you gave me uh, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. God, all he did was he came looking for me. He said, Adam, where are you? He said, uh-uh, uh-uh, I meant she did it. <laughs> and this is the first blame game. This is when the blame game originated. She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. God wants to speak to us because point number four is human nature to play the blame game. Passing the buck did not originate in Washington, D.C. <laughs> That's not where it started at. It originated right here in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden with the first man and woman that God created. Adam did not want to accept the responsibility. It wasn't Eve that God spoke to and gave the original warning to. It was Adam. God speaks to us because he wants us to address our sinful condition. He doesn't want you worrying about anybody else's sin. He doesn't want you to worry about what anybody else has done or what anyone else is doing. He comes to speak to you because he says, I have a plan for you 
And if you keep messing up like that, you're not going to fulfill it. And most of the times we want to play the blame game. God, it's this household I'm living in. Somebody before me and my family used to do this. It's just natural for me to do it. God, everybody at the school is doing it. We play the blame game every single time. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Adam didn't want to take the responsibility for it, so he passed it on to Eve. God speaks to us because he wants us to address our sinful condition. He wants us to understand clearly that no one else will be responsible for the things that we do or don't do. Now, your sin has been covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there are still consequences that we face because of our disobedience. Forbidden fruit has created a many a jam. (laughs) I'm not talking about jelly either. God clearly gives us guidelines that he wants us to follow. And when we break those guidelines and when we're disobedient, nobody else is going to be held responsible for that. There's no excuse for anyone walking in darkness and being bound by the weight of their sin. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 makes it clear that those who reject the truth and continue in unrighteous deeds are without excuse. But where sin abounded, grace abounded so much more. God knew that they were disobedient. He knew that they were living in shame. He said, I've got you covered. I don't want you to walk around in your nakedness, but I'm going to help you out. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want us to play the blame game. He wants us to repent, confess our sin to him, say, God, I did it. That's my sin. That's my fault. My bad. I did wrong. And I need you to forgive me so I can hear your voice as clearly as I once did before. Last scripture I want to take you to is this, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, by grace you are saved by faith, beginning in verse 8. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Think about Adam and Eve in this situation, how he created them, how he shaped them, how he formed them, and how he called them by name. How he didn't want them to live in shame. And now we, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How do you walk in those good works? You get yourself in a position where you can hear God's voice more clearer than you ever have before. First of all, you need to understand, why does God speak to me? 
because he don't want you living in the shame of your sin and your disobedience. He wants you to repent of it. He wants you to confess of it. He wants you to know that he has made a way for those sins to be covered, blotted out, and removed forever. And he says, whenever you do that, you'll hear my voice in a way that you never have before. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps you're here today and God's already speaking to you. Perhaps you came in today with something on your heart. Perhaps you've never heard the voice of God before. That's because you don't belong to Him. Perhaps you've never repented of your sin if you never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I'll just say this, if you're not a child of God, it is almost completely impossible for God to speak to you. But when you open up your heart to Him and you say, God, forgive me of what I've done, He begins speaking to your heart and drawing you closer to Him. The first step is to admit that you've done wrong. To confess of your sins. God, I know that I did wrong. Don't don't do like Adam. Don't say somebody else did it. Don't say I'm in this situation because of someone else. You tell God, say, I'm here in this situation. Separated you from you because of something that I've done. And then number two, you believe. You believe that Jesus Christ's blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Just like Adam and Eve, something had to die to cover their shame and their nakedness. And the same for you, for your sin and your transgression and your disobedience. Jesus Christ had to die. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated His love to us that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. And now after hearing that, God is speaking to your heart more clearly than He ever has before. The next thing you need to do is to commit your life to Him. First of all, you say, God, forgive me my sins. I believe Jesus died for me. And now I want to commit the rest of my life to following you in the best way that I can. Make me your child. Forgive me of my sins, and I commit my life to you. If that's a decision that you want to make today, in just a moment when the music begins, come let me know about it. You just say, Brother Tracy, I, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of going away from God. I'm tired of straying and wandering. I'm that one lost sheep that the Lord came looking for. And here's what happens. The Bible says that when one person repents of their sin, that there's a party that takes place in heaven. The Bible says, heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. So as soon as the music begins, don't fight it any longer. Just step out. Come to me and say, Brother Tracy, I want to give my life to the Lord, and I'll help you do that. We'll say a prayer together. We'll let you commit your life to the Lord. And the Bible says that when you do that, he'll make you a brand new person. You'll be born again.
And maybe you're here today, you're already a believer, and it's been a long time since the Lord's spoken to your heart. Perhaps you've got an unconfessed sin in your life that's creating that hindrance. These altars are open for you. David had to repent of his sins. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We commit this invitation time to you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir among us, Lord God. That you would touch hearts. You would change lives. You would restore any broken relationships or any fellowship that's been broken along the way. Lord, if there are any two people here that are at odds with each other, I pray that today that they would find restitution between each other. Most importantly of all, Lord God, if there's someone here that is running from you, I pray that today that they would run to you and give you their lives. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.